listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today is a story time with Sarah Day. What do we get to learn about today? Oh, this is this is a fun story. I it's been interesting trying to find Lutheran women to talk about for this podcast, which I'm sure can be another whole episode on its own about quote unquote famous Lutheran women that we actually have enough content to share a podcast about. But <laughs> since finding this person, I now have like four or five other other Lutheran women to talk about, which is Ooh. actually really exciting that that I'm now kind of down this rabbit hole and I'm finding new resources. So lots more Lutheran women to talk about today. I'm going to tell you the story of Dorothea Kramer. She is kind of in the same time period of the Emily Walther story. So a lot of these details are going to, I know, and I think you're going to love this one too. Uh, a lot of the details are going to sound kind of similar. It's it's the same kind of uh, the, the Gesellschaft movement of of German immigrants going to America for- Oh yeah, the um, Gesellschaft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Same time period. So- I want to give a shout out to a few resources before I start into her story. There's a CPH book in the Hero of Faith series on Dorothea Kramer. It's written for grade school curriculum, but it's fun for adults too. It's just, it's like a really brief overview of her story and and the highlights of her life. So that I highlight, it's like eight bucks from CPH. It's Mm. worth it to have it on your bookshelf to be like, hey, look, it's a Lutheran woman of woman of faith. Because she has a cool story. And I have an, another one, too, that I'm going to do in a, in a couple of months on, a, on another woman in this series. There's also Concordia Historical Institute has a lot of her stuff because of the legacy of her family. There's several Concordia Historical Institute resources. I'll put those links in the show notes so I don't have to like tell you what they are right now. There's also another book by Ludwig Ernest Furbinger, Three Unforgettable Mothers in Israel. Uh, there's some stuff about her and a, and a few other women that, in that book as well. And a huge shout out to Elizabeth Allman in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge group. When I mentioned I was doing this story, she sent me all of her resources that she had on Dorothea Kramer. So that was really useful. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, for your help in putting this podcast together. So... Mm-hmm. For her story. I love this story. It is wonderful in its own right. But this is also a story of Michigan, which makes my heart so happy because it's my homeland. And I apparently I just I just keep telling you these stories of things that I love, and I love Michigan with my whole heart. And <laughs> this this story takes place. It's part of that German Lutheran migration to America in the mid-1800s, which you've talked about a bit. This story takes place a little bit later than the Walthers. They would they did not emigrate at the same time or on the same boats. I looked all of that up because I was kind of excited that they did, but they didn't. <laughs> this also is kind of cool. This is the second story we've done on the Gesellschaft, and my own relatives made that trek also. My great-grandpa actually was part of that a little bit later in 1892. He also emigrated from Germany to Michigan to be a pastor. So this is like a little snippet of my own family history too. So I, it's really cool. Dorothea Kramer was a wonderful person, a caring and thoughtful person and a lover of Jesus. She was willing to do whatever the Lord put in front of her. She was open to those opportunities and uh, willing to serve wherever she was called to serve. So her story begins in 1817. Dorothea Benthian was born on February 12th, 1817 in Achim Hanover, Germany. 
And her family was not very wealthy, but she did grow up, uh, in, presumably, in a, in a German Lutheran household. But we don't actually know much of anything about her early life until she boarded the ship for America. We do know that she gave birth to a son, Heinrich, in about 1840, when she was 23, presumably out of wedlock. No father has ever mentioned in her story for this child, and her son has her last name. So that is actually a significant part of her story that she is emigrating to America with a child as a single mother in the mid 1800s when this would have been a very interesting situation especially if she were looking to find a husband this would have been a a sticky thing to deal with kind of scandalous yeah yeah i like scandalous so <laughs> I'm just flashing back to reading Tess of the D'Urbervilles and thinking about how this era was so not kind to mm-hmm. unwed mothers and right. hoping that Dorothea's story turns out and Heinrich's story turns out better than many of them at this time. Yes, this this story does have mostly a happy, well, there's happy parts, a bit of a sad ending. But anyway, she was a <laughs> she was a loving mother. Uh, by all accounts, raising a wonderful young man in his story, uh, he goes on to do really great things. So in 1845, Dorothea and her son joined Dorothea's brother and his family on board the Caroline, which departed from Bremen, Germany, en route to Fort Wayne. And a lot of people actually assumed that her son was part of her brother's family. So that may have alleviated some of the weirdnesses that they just kind of assumed it was her nephew, not her son. They were part of a small group of Hanoverian German Lutherans traveling to America during this time. There is a meet cute that happens on the boat, and I love this part of the story. So from a different part of Germany, Pastor August Kramer also boarded the Caroline departing from Bremen in 1845. That 50-day journey at sea would bring them together to serve God's people in ways that they had not imagined uh, before going to America. So... I'm sorry. I just thought I I I almost just burst out into "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. <laughs> I was like, "Would they have to cut that?" But that's just yeah, what, that's why I just cackled out loud right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> I just when I started reading her story, I just assumed that they were all traveling together, but they didn't. They didn't actually know each other before they both got on the boat. Which is, I don't know. I think that's a really cute part of the story. <laughs> You're thinking Journey. I'm thinking Celine Dion. My heart will go on. <laughs> so to understand her story i do have to tell you about her husband as well because he plays a huge part in all of this story august kramer was born on may 26 1812 in klein langheim in franconia he was baptized into the lutheran church he was very well educated and he grew up to be a professor of german language and literature at oxford university in england so he was like real smart guy He knew English, he knew Latin, Greek, French, Norwegian, and later, once they got to Michigan, he also learned the language of the Chippewas and was a very adept teacher. So he was a perfect candidate for a voyage to America to lead this blossoming Lutheran church and the mission work that they were planning on doing. And he was a bachelor still? Yeah, right? I know. (laughs) So there's another- A man who speaks five languages- (laughs) And spends all his Except time in for his the books. language of love. Is <laughs> a bachelor. Shock me. No, I don't do. 
<laughs> so, so many I, fan fiction opportunities right now. <laughs> Yes. There's there's another player in this whole story of how of of why they even meet and why he's even going. So I also have to tell you a little bit about Pastor Wilhelm Lea. Come up before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he lived 1808 to 1872. He was immensely influential to the American Lutheran Church and our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He has his own big story that that um i encourage you to read on your own it's there's there's a lot of really interesting stuff maybe we'll have a podcast about him eventually too so he is credited for beginning the deaconess movement in lutheranism and also he was a founding sponsor of the lcms he sent pastors from the small little town of neuendetelslau to north america australia new guinea brazil and the ukraine so he has this like global influence on lutheranism Mm -hmm. Many churches, Lutheran churches in Michigan, Ohio, and Iowa were actually founded or influenced by the pastors that he sent to America. And we actually commemorate him on January 2nd, which is the date of his death in 1872 on our church calendar. So he's one of those guys that's so important. We actually commemorate him in our you church know, year. I was completely shocked when I found out that he never actually, you know, moved to America himself. No, like he, he never did. in Germany, sending people out around the world. Huh. Yep. And I think that's a really powerful example for us to follow. Those of us who may not be able to travel or go abroad. This man was so hugely influential and mm-hmm. so such a servant of the gospel but he did it all from home sending other people and yeah that's that's awesome yeah fort wayne mm-hmm. seminary he actually like started fort wayne seminary and when <gasps> the synod formed he gave it to them so it would be a synodical seminary like he was he was that big of a guy. Huh. It's it's huh. he had like he had his operatives in America that would like send him word like, hey, I need people. And then he would send people like that's That's how it was working in my head. The mastermind of yes. Noyan Dettelzow. Right, right. Exactly. And, right. and uh, Winnikin was actually one of those operatives. So in 1844. August Kramer heard about this work that Leah was doing, specifically about his plan to send missionaries to Michigan to convert Chippewa Indians. Pastor Frederick Winnikin was already in the American Midwest, and he sent this word to Leah to send these missionary colonists to emigrate to Michigan. They needed a pastor, however, to do this missionary work, and Kramer agreed to do this, even though he wasn't ordained yet. I didn't realize that he hadn't been ordained yet. The but continues. Right? Love his enthusiasm. Right. I'll be your pastor, but I need to get ordained first. <laughs> so Sounds he was like actually some seminarians I've known. <laughs> <laughs> Super eager. So he was ordained in Neuendeslau on April 4th, 1845. And left for America on April 20th, 1845. So that was like a, a, a real quick get you ordained so you can be a pastor in the new world. So Dorothea and August ended up on the same ship, but they were not part of the same group until the ship's captain thought it was wise to put all of the German Lutherans together, which I don't know if that was just like this weird plan or really wise on the part of the ship captain, but he they put them all together in the ship's quarters. So Dorothea's group from Hanover and August's August's group from Franconia came together on the ship. And this just sounds super Lutheran. They formed a little voyage congregation for their 50-day journey and they like had their own little church on board. Typical. 
<laughs> Typical Lutheran. Right? <laughs> so Dorothea learned about the other Lutheran group's plans and destinations while they kind of all got to know each other on board the ship and uh, and about what they were hoping to do in Michigan. But her, her plan and, and her family's plan was to go to Fort Wayne, to emigrate to Fort Wayne and stay there, which, funnily enough, she ends up in Fort Wayne later anyway. So Pastor Kramer, he actually married four couples during this voyage because they weren't allowed to marry in Germany according to German law. So they came aboard the ship as engaged couples and then he married them fairly shortly after they got on board. I tried to look up what these German laws would have been, but I'm not super adept at that kind of German history just yet. Um, I know there's some laws that have to do with monetary standing, um, like the uh, villages were would have a say in who could marry because of of how people were poor people were cared for like at that time system kind of yeah know. and i don't know if that was it that's the only thing that that's the only obvious thing that came up there may have been other things that i just don't know about i find it very interesting that there were laws at this time about who could and couldn't marry and that's coming from a mm. very modern american worldview so <laughs> The journey to America, not an easy one. I don't think any of us would expect that it would have been easy, but it's kind of like harder than anything that we probably would have to go through when we're traveling now. Like if we're going to go to a different country, we hop on a plane and we're there in several hours to a day and you're done, right? But they had 50 days on this ship with icebergs being in the North Atlantic in April. They still had icebergs. I think like they were trying to get around them they crashed into another boat but it wasn't serious enough to end their journey uh, the entire atlantic ocean <laughs> right to crash how do you do boat? that yes they crashed into another boat and then and then there was a smallpox outbreak and we have learned oh, from snap. our from our modern wow. coronavirus pandemic and cruise ships and all of this that happened if you get a highly communicable disease on a boat, everybody's going to get it. So pretty much literally everybody Diamond got smallpox. Diamond Princess 1840s edition. Wow. Right? <laughs> Don't stop! in! <laughs> Sorry, I had to do it. <laughs> so wow, all kinds of stuff happening during this journey. And that isn't even the end of it. There's more later. But during this time, Dorothea, being a very caring person she took it upon herself to care for these people who were sick so she went out of her way to fearlessly because she if she hadn't gotten it already she was going to get it and tirelessly praying for the sick people and caring for them and making sure they had what they needed sadly they did in their little traveling party they did lose a two-year-old child uh, margarita hospital to smallpox mm. i from what i know that's the only person that they lost which wow. is kind of amazing actually yeah, that is. sad that it was a little two-year-old kid yeah. yeah so there was there was that sadness as well during their journey but her care and concern for these passengers caught the eye of one of august's companions so one of the pastoral candidates traveling with them friedrich lochner brought her to August's attention. And this came up also in the Emily and CFW Walther story that people like nudge him like, hey, you're a single pastor. You should have a wife. <laughs> so Lochner also did that to August. He was like, hey, this Dorothea 
person, she would make a really good wife for you because she cares for people and you're going to need somebody when you get to Michigan who's really good at caring for people and like handling stuff and is is good with those kinds and of immune things. immune to smallpox. Yeah. And immune, immune to smallpox. And August was like, it's fine. I have my books. I'm happy. <laughs> I have my languages. Yeah. And I have my mission. And But then he's like, oh, okay, fine. You're right. <laughs> He relented. He's like, yeah, I guess that'd be a good idea. (laughs) But he didn't like just walk up to her and be like, hey, will you marry me? Like that didn't happen. But he. Well, good. Good. I love this. I love this part. Patience and gentlemanliness on his part. (laughs) First, he goes up to her and he's like, hey, so I noticed that you were being really nice to these sick people. And she's like, oh, you noticed me? (laughs) It's like reminds me of middle school. Like, ooh, you noticed that I was being nice to people. I'm totally. This may not have actually happened. I'm totally just like radio theatering this for a little bit. (laughs) Radio theater away. I'm here for this. But then he's like, "So I'm going to Michigan, and I know you're going to Fort Wayne. But do you want to come with our group to Michigan to do this work that we're doing with the Chippewas?" And she was like, "Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to Indiana, but yeah, I guess that would be fine. Sure." I mean, it's not going to be easy work, but okay. And then he's like, Michigan. I mean, it's it's who doesn't want to go to Michigan? (laughs) And then he's like, well, actually, do you want to come with me and be my wife? (laughs) That escalated quickly. Right. And This may not have happened like all in one conversation. This is a bit of, you know, speculation of how this actually went down. But she, she says, well, yeah, I'll do that. So now they're engaged on this boat very quickly. <laughs> Was she like, P.S., I have a kid? Well, see, that's the thing. Oh. <laughs> the other passengers and the other people in their group were like, you know, she has this kid, obviously out of wedlock. So that's like, what are you going to do about that? But he was fine with it even with all of the pushback and like outright objection to them getting married they still ended up getting married wow Um, he he saw her heart and her great faith in christ and her her heart of service and overlooked the fact that yes there's obviously some sin in her past as there is in everybody's but that is no reason to not love (laughs) now and i mean a child is a gift and this kid is awesome and he goes on to do great stuff too so that's amazing i mean that 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 sort of story didn't happen very much in that time no. uh even among you know the not highly religious but for right. it to be a pastor saying yeah i'll i'll take you yeah I mean, that's that's beautiful yes good man i love i love that part of the story I love it. It's almost like he understood the concept of grace and forgiveness. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So they land finally in New York City on June 8th, 1845. And Dorothea and August get married on June 10th, 1845. They wasted no time. But Mm -mm. they were also on this journey. They had not gotten to their final destination yet. And if they were going to be traveling together, they probably need to be married, you know, Good idea. So they got married at St. Matthew Lutheran Church by Pastor Stolman in 
New York City. And this is one of those things you can actually see on Concordia Historical Institute's website. There's a picture of their marriage certificate, which I think is super cool. Aww. And pictures of them uh, from back in the day. Not like a wedding picture, but like their their portrait pictures with the wedding certificate. So you can look at that too, nice. if you're a history nerd. <laughs> They're in New York City now. Their final destination is Michigan. Now for us, that's like, what, eight, 10 hour drive, maybe sure. 12, or hop on a plane. Not a big deal though, right? That's but fine. in those days, there was no transcontinental railroad yet. These were the days of the Oregon Trail and the Great Migration <laughs> had just happened two years earlier in 1843. So this is the the travel mindset in America that they have right now. Like, this is not easy stuff to get mm -mm. from one place to another. And you might die of dysentery. So Snakes. Dysentery. You know. <laughs> Consumption. But not smallpox. But not, not smallpox. That's not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So they boarded a train to take them north to Albany and then west to Buffalo. And then I was hoping they'd go through Canada, but they didn't. They went around the south side mm. of the lake and ended up in the Saginaw area of Michigan, just south of Saginaw Bay, which if you look at the palm of your right hand, it's that little bay area right underneath uh, between your thumb right. and your forefinger. I, Listeners, I to... you have to know that Sarah the Michigander... My fellow Michigander is holding her hand up right now and pointing at it as I am too. one does. Okay, right yeah, there. like right there in the meaty part of your hand. Yep, right there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yep, that's that. where they landed. <laughs> so they had 680 acres, which is huge. That's a lot of land. That's a lot of land. All virgin forest on the Cass River in beautiful mid-Michigan. So there is there is nothing where they're going. There's no housing. There's there's nothing set up. They are literally going there to build their own settlement, like a lot of the people that were migrating around the U.S. at that time. So even this part of the journey wasn't without trials. In June 1845, right after they left New York, they endured a head-on train collision in the middle of New York, which is crazy that they just like, these two trains their just collided. collide. Their trains I collide. <laughs> Thankfully, they were all okay. There were some other passengers who were injured, and Pastor Kramer took this opportunity to minister to them and care for them, of course, in his vocation. Dorothea wanted to care for them, but she had her son, and he was, like, terrified that their trains had just crashed. Mm. But they were they were okay, and they kept on going to Michigan. They finally arrived a month later, a month later, mm. in, in Saginaw on July 10th. 1845, just short of three months after leaving Bremen, Germany. So this picture of traveling for almost three months to get to a new land you've never been to before. And when you get there, you don't actually have a home because it's all forest and you have to clear your own land and build your own structures before you can live there. It's, I mean, some people might do that still today. I wouldn't. <laughs> so Dorothea and August had decided that when they arrived in Saginaw, she would stay with the women in Saginaw, there was a bit of a, a settlement already there, and learn American ways, some survival skills, the local fauna and flora or whatever, how to plant stuff so they actually had food, um, all of those kind of survival skills that, that she would need to know once they moved off into the forest and didn't have anybody else to rely on. Basically Animal Crossing in Saginaw. <laughs> <laughs> 1800 Saginaw. Right. Yes. And then August and the men of the party would go off to clear the land and build the shelters. Makes sense. So that's what they did. And then two months later, Dorothea and the women 
traveled to meet the men and move into their new, very primitive buildings. The men had built two huts, one for communal use and one for the parsonage. The log cabin for the church would be completed by Christmas Eve, 1845. And their settlement grew immensely over the years with even more German immigrants and would eventually become Frankenmuth, the center of all Lutheran things in Michigan. And if you haven't been to Frankenmuth, go to Frankenmuth and just like experience the Lutheranism there and go to the Christmas market. It's it's amazing. The cheese <laughs> is very good. Oh, yes. I mean, there's, there's, it's a cute, cute town, but uh, good food. Yes. Worth a visit for sure. So Pastor Leia had actually named it Frankenmuth to remind them of their home, Franconia, and the courage, Muth, to build their mission. So the name also had some significance to them, especially well, and being that they were German speakers still. We all know about Frankenmuth, but uh, Ken actually served his vicarage in Frankentrost just up the right. road. There's a there's several Franken communities, Frankentrost, mm-hmm. you know, the faith of the Franconians. Yep. Frankenlust, Frankenrich. There's a- <laughs> I'm so hungry. There's at least four that I remember. And it's all of these town names are statements of faith, uh-huh. which is cool. Mm-hmm. Very beautiful part of Michigan, but also a very a lot, a lot of German Lutheran heritage. So if you like nerding out over your Lutheran heritage, totally a place to go visit. One of several in the country where there's pockets of of these uh, very old Lutheran communities. Obviously, St. Louis being one of them. Nice. Frankenmuth, another one, and there's one in Texas too. Different story. So life was very different in Michigan than Germany. Mosquitoes, for one thing way worse in Michigan than in Germany. And the heat, totally different. This weather, I mean, they're by the bay, they're in a forest and forests in Michigan, there's a lot of bugs and a lot of humidity and heat in the middle of the summer, especially. But they adapted and they thrived in their new home. Dorothea, of course, was managing all the things that you would expect a quote unquote frontier kind of style woman would do. She did the gardening. She made sure they had food. They did all of their clothes washing in the river, caring for all of the the children, uh, including their own, and all of those homesteading things that they would need to survive. She also cared with deep love for the Chippewa children that would actually come and stay in the hut. So her son, Henry, actually learned the Ojibwa language fluently because he grew up with these children Mm. and that would serve him really well later in life so the chippewa children that the kramers took under their wing would actually call dorothea mutter because of all of this love and care that she had for them so during this time obviously that the whole the whole reason that they they emigrated here was to witness to the the chippewa people that were in that area so while she was taking care of all the homesteading stuff, Pastor Kramer would go out and meet with the Chippewa and teach them about Jesus. Sometimes he would walk. Sometimes he would get a ride in a canoe. But he would get around to these local villages and tell them about Jesus. And he actually built up a lot of friendships with the Chippewa that lived around there, telling them about Christ's love and creating this fellowship between his group and the Chippewa. Several Chippewa children were actually baptized Um, only a few months after they had started their work, which is kind of cool. A hundred more immigrants arrived in Frankenmuth in June 1846, so the year after they got there, and they built a larger church slash school slash parsonage that was dedicated on Christmas Day 1846. And two years after the St. Lawrence Church was founded, 
It was one of the 14 charter congregations of the LCMS in 1847 and the only one from Michigan. So this settlement and this church that they founded has a massive influence on the founding of our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in 1847, some of which we covered in the uh, Emily Walther podcast as well. So this is their journey there and setting up this congregation is really important to us. So the Kramer stayed in Michigan for five years, during which time they also set up a missionary school and they baptized 31 children. Most of the Chippewa were moving out of the area, however, after they got there because of how much their settlement was expanding. Um, so the mission work actually started to die down quite a bit at this point. Their time also had been somewhat contentious, not not quite as contentious as some of the things that happened in St. Louis <laughs> during this time, right after the immigrants came here, uh, like nobody was banished across any rivers. Um, but yeah. August was finding it hard to get respect from the other settlers. Not really sure why, but there was just some kind of weird personality stuff going on. But uh, they managed to have a very successful settlement and a successful community, and like nobody died off after two years of being there, which is good. Can I just say though that this is something you know? Obviously, I have a lot of long a longstanding connection with this part of the country, yes. and it's always made me feel kind of sad that the ostensible reason for those first settlers going to Michigan was to share the love of Jesus with the native peoples there. Mm-hmm. But what happened in reality was there were way more people came Mm -hmm. (laughs) and were more interested in establishing their own communities that, you know, essentially supplanted and ended up driving out the very people that they had come to share the gospel with. And that just, I mean, obviously it's done. History is is in the past, Mm -hmm. but I've always found that a little sad. That yeah. somehow these two groups of people hadn't managed to share either, you know, the gospel or, you know, the geography with one another in a in a long term successful way. Sorry, that was a, a Debbie Downer statement right there. But I just I just had to say it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that was going through my head as I was reading this, like the whole point that they were going there was and to to talk about so, Jesus with these people and then they go away. Like, if oh, Pastor Kramer, well. <laughs> if he was focused very much on the mission to the Indians and the other settlers were more concerned about other matters, you, there could be some tensions there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't know, you know, you said you don't know the exact reason, but I, I can imagine some causes for friction sure. in those two different mission statements. Right. Yep. So, After their five years there, August received a call in 1850 to teach at the quote-unquote practical seminary in Fort Wayne. And this was called the practical seminary, not for the reason that I originally thought, but because its purpose was just a, it was a practical purpose to provide pastors as quickly as possible to the congregations that were growing. Because at this point, the LCMS is only three years old. You got to have some pastors for these people. Right. <laughs> so, pastor factory. Hmm. Pretty much. Yes. I mean, they just they needed to get pastors out to congregations in order to serve these people. And that's like my great grandpa's story. He comes over 40 years after hmm. this to serve a congregation because they needed a pastor. So they brought one in from Germany. <laughs> they were mass produced. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they moved to Fort Wayne. So Dor- Dorothea 
eventually gets to Fort Wayne anyway, even though that isn't where she ended up originally. Big detour. Just just a little bit of a detour. And so they begin their new life there. When the seminary combined with the academic slash theoretical seminary in St. Louis in 1861, they moved to St. Louis so he could teach there. And a little bit of a historical note, the seminary moved in 1861, think this is Civil War era, they moved to protect the seminarians from being drafted into the Civil War because theological students were exempted from the draft in Missouri. They were not exempt in Indiana. Oh, so interesting. There's a little historical tidbit for you. And there's more. If you ever get to St. Louis and the International Center ever draft ever <laughs> opens, there's more about this uh, in the Concordia Historical Institute Museum at the International Center. And I was trying to find my pictures because I know I took a picture of that because I found it interesting and I couldn't find the picture to write more about that. But there's, there is some interesting historical context around the LCMS and the Civil War, but that's for a different day. Mm. So then in 1875, the seminaries were separated again and the original practical seminary contingent moved to Springfield, Illinois. So the Kramers moved to Springfield, Illinois. And Pastor Kramer became the the president of this seminary in 1875. So just a little forward-looking, you're like, oh, well, now it's in Springfield. How does they get back to Fort Wayne? So the seminary moves back to Fort Wayne in 1976. So it was in Springfield for a long time. After Concordia Senior College of Fort Wayne merged with Concordia College in Ann Arbor. So then the seminary in Springfield moves back to Fort Wayne and takes over the the beautiful campus that you have in Fort Wayne. So that's seminary history. So through all of this moving around, 10 years in Fort Wayne, 12 years in St. Louis, and then the remainder in Springfield, Dorothea kept on this heart of service, serving her neighbor in whatever capacity she could as faithfully as she could. St. Louis during and after the Civil War was not an easy place to be, and they were there in St. Louis during the Civil War. There were no battles around there, but because Missouri is that border state and right on the Mississippi, there's a lot of stuff that I'm sure was happening around this time, and they were teaching young people form forming these young people during this time in our in our history of our country so i mm. that, it's just very interesting to think that that they were in these roles at this time but she worked very hard during all of these years to make sure that her family was cared for that their seminary students were cared for because these these seminaries weren't that large when they moved to springfield i think there were only like 29 students so it's not like they were moving hundreds of people around but she cared for these students as her own kids, essentially, and made sure that they were, were well cared for. So August and Dorothea did have seven children together. There's not a lot of information about them. Most of this story, uh, most of the references for this story, it's mostly Pastor Kramer's history and his influence. There's not that much more on Dorothea and her individual story and all of their Kids' stories are kind of just like thrown in there a bit, but they did have seven kids in addition to August adopting Heinrich as his own kid, which is awesome. (sighs) So Heinrich or Henry, he would actually go on to live among the Chippewa later in life. He served as a translator at Indian mission stations around Michigan and Minnesota, and he traveled west to actually teach missionaries the Chippewa language. And he translated parts Mm -hmm. of scripture to Chippewa from probably from German 
So that's really cool that he he kind of took on this missionary life himself. He actually did go on to seminary in St. Louis and graduated in 1866. And he served as vicar and pastor at Trinity Lutheran in Cleveland, where he married Sophie Winnikin, perpetuating the Lutheran dynasty of all these people with these last names we know. That is is a power couple right there. Yes. And then on to Trinity Lutheran in Zanesville, Ohio, from 1869 to 1880. But sadly, he had poor health during this time, and he moved to California, where he died pretty young in 1881. Hmm. Just sad. John Lawrence was Dorothy and August's first child together, born December 4th, 1846, which is a year after they got to Michigan. So Dorothea was probably enjoying that uh, part of that journey, at least, with morning sickness. Probably. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He graduated from St. Louis Seminary in 1869 and was a pastor in Virginia and Iowa and then the first president of the Iowa District in 1879. So continuing a Lutheran legacy. A daughter was born in 1848, but... Fair warning. This is really sad. She died at two months after being smothered in bed. Mm. (gasps) This was before the ad council, people. So sad. Yeah. Ferdinand was born in 1849. He went on to be a teacher. So all of those kids were born in Frankenmuth before they moved. Their other four children were born in Fort Wayne. So Marie... And none of them have birth dates, so <laughs> I don't know who's oldest. Marie married a pastor, F.W. Grum, in Iowa. She also died young. Wilhelm was a teacher and pharmacist in St. Louis. Charles, who was the godson of C.F.W. Walther, kind of cool, hmm. was a pastor in Iowa and New Orleans. And among other things in his life that he did, he was the first executive secretary of the Lutheran Layman's League, the other LLL. (laughs) The OG one. (laughs) Um, And Friedrich also studied to be a pastor. So it seems that they had a fairly, at least pleasant life. And not everything is, is roses, obviously, especially during this time period when you're doing all of this stuff with this new Lutheran church and, 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 um, Healthcare systems weren't exactly what they are today. So diseases, you know, we talked about the cholera outbreak that happened in St. Louis during CFW Walther's time. Like stuff just kind of went around and happened. In 1881, in the course of just two months, three of their grown children and two of of their grandchildren died, which is like a lot. Marie Mm. and two of her children Mm. died during this time. Nothing says how, though. I... It's interesting that three in one family died altogether. It may have been sickness that happens a lot. Uh, Friedrich returned Mm. from vicarage with tuberculosis Mm. and died on September 19th, 1881. And then Heinrich also died of tuberculosis on October 28th, 1881 in California. So not a good time. A lot of sorrow uh, during this time for her family, but her faith remained strong in Christ. However, her physical health started to really decline at this time because of all of this immense Mm. sorrow and grief. And she was a busy person when she was Mm. serving. She was like physically doing the work. Uh, Mm -hmm. She didn't just like sit there and tell people what to do. She was out there like wheelbarrowing supplies around that they needed and doing the gardening. Like she was involved in all of this stuff. So at a certain point that just takes a toll on your body. So she died on 
November 11th, 1884, at her bedside, presumably praying. Um, August found her there, which is a little sad. But she was a great woman of faith, and she died in in faith in Christ, and we get to see her at the resurrection. She is buried in Springfield, Illinois, in the Oak Ridge Cemetery, in the same plot as her children that died before her. So you could actually go visit her grave if you wanted to. Pastor Kramer, after this point, his life was full of sorrow, too, at, at, at this time. He had just lost, what, three of his kids, two of his grandkids, and his wife within three years. And then three of his grandchildren died within 14 days. Ferdinand, their son, died in February 1888 after being ill for a while. Lawrence died on June 15, 1890. And his first wife had died in Iowa, leaving him with six children. So he remarried, had two more kids. So August had eight grandchildren, um, at least, as, as this family of kiddos. There's a really adorable picture of him and his grandkids. I think it's on the Concordia Historical Institute. And they look just like they're beautiful children, too. It, it's a wonderful picture. So August continued to serve the seminary during all of this time, through all of this sorrow, in, including two typhoid breakouts between 1888 and 1890. So many epidemics. No. These people dealt with these epidemics year after year after year after year and lost so many people. It's just, it's mind-blowing that all of these people just die from these illnesses during this time. Some students also died from this disease and they actually had to close the school in 1888 because it was it was too much for them to handle. His health also caught up to him in April of 1891 and he like collapsed at this installation service at the seminary. So he died on May 3rd, the next month, 1891, with his two living sons, Wilhelm and Carl, at his side. His funeral was the largest funeral that Springfield, Illinois, had seen since the funeral of Abraham Lincoln in 1865. Wow. Who is also buried mm. in Oak Ridge Cemetery. So Highly recommend go to Oak Ridge Cemetery in Springfield and do a grave tour because there's a lot of cool people buried there and you can learn a lot of history. <laughs> so Dorothea lived a possibly more adventurous life than most of us will, moving to a new country with her son as a single mother, marrying a pastor after just meeting him like a month prior on a ship, <laughs> helping to start a settlement in the wilderness, caring for Chippewa children, moving four times at a time in history when moving was not easy and caring for all of these seminary students and faculty and seeing the death of her children. Through all of this, though, she trusted in the Lord's provision and love for her and her neighbor and her faith in Christ held her strong through all of these trials. And she is a fabulous witness to the faith and one of our sisters in Christ. And I love her story. That is delightful. I love it. I love her story. I do. I do too. I love I love these stories of people living well, I mean, you say adventurous, but <laughs> simple I mean complicated simple little lives where they plant gardens and do laundry and right. raise children and you know, support their husbands and feed people and make the world a better place mm -hmm. and bear witness to the love of Christ you know, not necessarily doing things that, I mean, you really struggled to write this, write this podcast episode because you had so much trouble finding details about Dorothea. Right. She didn't, 
She didn't make history in the traditional sense of the word, mm-hmm. and yet she made history yeah. in that she left behind a world that was more full of the love of Christ yep. than it had been before. Yep. And that's, I love those stories. Really do. Mm-hmm. Another story of working in our vocations where the Lord has planted us. It's exactly. wonderful. So ladies, I hope you enjoy this story. And if you want to tell your story of a Lutheran woman of faith who has inspired you, even if they live normal lives, like most of these women I'm going to tell you about, uh, we'd love to hear those stories <laughs> too in our Facebook group. You can join us in that group. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Lots of discussion and community there. We're also on Instagram now. You can find us there at hmm. the Lutheran Nope. At Lutheran Ladies Lounge. I always want to put a the on the beginning of that. There's no the. <laughs> at Lutheran Ladies Lounge <laughs> on Instagram. You yeah. can also find the four of us there too if you want to follow our pages. You can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm a, I'm Bree. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still just Rachel. <laughs>